Hello, and welcome back to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I am Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. On today's episode, the boys are back in town. Mm. Well, the same towns where we have been, but we're recording together this time. Um, Shout out to you for recording a solo episode last week when schedules did not line up as uh, we might hope. Uh, We've been saying it for, at this point, I think close to a year, but life's crazy. Schedules are crazy. I I was just telling you before we hit record, I guess this is what it's like to be an adult. Mm -hmm. I thought I was an adult, but, but... I guess not. I, I guess I'm just just now realizing that adults have busy schedules and it's hard to do fun things with your friends, which is very sad. But that's not really here nor there. That's not what we're talking about today. Maybe we could talk about that some other time. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe that's more of a, of a conversation to have in private or have with a counselor. But today we are talking about something a little bit more lighthearted and a little bit more um, intriguing. Uh we almost talked about this back in July. Yeah, during August. The when did we do month. Mystery Month? That was July. Uh, yeah, we almost. Wow, man. Anyway, <laughs> we almost talked about this uh, during that month, but we 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 weren't sure, you know, if it was it, it it was sort of on the bottom of the list. Like we just had other topics we, that were good, but we have been kicking this one around even for longer. I think than, since the beginning of the podcast, like I it's mean, been on our list it, forever. It, especially once we started diving into like doing episodes where we we took a look at just chunks of scripture and kind of explored them a little bit and then especially we've done a few that looking at passages that we specifically chose because they're a little bit tougher to understand or weird sounding or just kind of a little bit more obscure than just a, a typical story but we're talking about uh, everyone's favorite verses i'm sure you know exactly what we're talking about when i say mark 14 51 to 52 um, which is a very, I mean, I, I, I remember, I don't remember when it was, but I remember at some point in the, in the history of the podcast, you mentioning this and me not even remembering that this was in any of the gospels, uh, or anywhere in the Bible. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a very, especially just if you just read these two verses on their own, totally out of left field, like on the surface there seems to be no real rhyme or reason to them. So what am I talking about? What are we talking about? Um, you want to start, I guess, with reading the verses and then we can kind of kick off like why we're talking about it or or just get started, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So like Lucas said, Mark 14, 51 through 52 says, Now a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him, that is Jesus, They caught hold of him, this young man, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. That's it. That's Mark 14, 51 through 52. There's this certain young man who remains unnamed. He's wearing nothing but a linen cloth. Uh, He was following Jesus. Uh, For for contextual purposes, this happens after the... um, Jesus's betrayal. So, you know, they're praying in the garden. Judas comes with some people, uh, depending on your gospel, like, you know, there's the altercation. Peter cuts off someone's ear. Uh, well, everyone has ran like verse 50 says something to the effect of like all of his followers ran and fleed. Um, and so that's 
That's that's picking up right here. Everyone's ran away, but now this young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following Jesus. And they, I don't know if we're talking about, you know, guards or the mob of people, whatever it is, but they caught hold of this guy, but he left the linen cloth behind. It's, you can almost picture it. Like there, there's this big tussle there. They reach after him. They grab hold of his cloth and he ends up slipping away. Uh, and he ran away simply with nothing but his birthday suit. Um, and so it's just one of those, it's one of those weird stories. It's like, what's the deal? Like, What's with this guy? Who who is the guy? Like who who are we talking about here? Why is why is this included in Mark's gospel? What what purpose does this serve? Um so that's that's sort of like how I approach this conversation. Like like Lucas said, this falls right into that like weird Bible passages theme that we've had going for the better part of a year every so often where we explore something that's just like man, like, why is that in the Bible? What is that all about? That just like on the surface, like, you know, if you speaking of former episodes, Lucas and I talked about like, is the Bible clear? Um, we said yes and no. Uh, this is one of those where it's like, it's not really clear. Cause like, if you were just to open up to your Bible and read this, you would not necessarily know. I mean, you know what the words mean on the page, but like, what is its purpose? Why is it there? It's not there accidentally. Uh, it's not there for no reason. Um, so what is the point? Um, so I figured we'd just like break it down bit by bit and just sort of chat about it. Um, the the first place to start is simply with the identity of the man. I mean, the way that Mark chooses to introduce him, it's just now a certain young man. <laughs> so there's, there's no contextual clues, really. Um, any guess that you give is simply a guess. There, there really is nothing here to like really grasp onto. Some have guessed Mark himself. Uh, some have guessed the rich young ruler. Uh, some guessed the angel who showed up as a young man in the tomb. Um, that one's really interesting to me because in Mark's gospel, the only time we see this this linen and the idea of a young man are these two accounts of like this this story right here, and then later at the tomb when the the women see that the stone is rolled away and there's a young man dressed in white in the tomb and announces that Jesus isn't there. Um, so some have speculated that perhaps this this was some sort of like angelic appearance, in which case I'm like, man, like naked angel running through the streets of, you know, Jerusalem or whatever. That's kind of strange. Um, some have said Joseph of Arimathea because he wrapped Jesus in a linen garment. And so maybe there's some sort of like symbolic connection. Again, these are all guesses. Each one is speculation. They're, they're just trying to pick at little bits of what we maybe want to call contextual clues, but nothing is really all that certain. Really not that certain. And I think by the time we get to the yeah. end, I'll, I'll give you like my opinion on what I think it is, but I'm curious. What what do you have to say about the identity of this person? Anything to add? Yeah. I think, I think it is interesting um, to think like the fact that the fact that he's not named and 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 not only that but there's not like this there's not really any effort given to like give you an introduction into it it's just there was a certain young man and he just kind of goes into what he has to say about him like not only is this little story or this little uh you know account of this guy's actions very small but even within that any kind of introduction into the story is is really into the, the the wider story you know you've got 
the disciples, you've got Judas, you've got the, the Roman soldiers, the Pharisees, like you've got all these people that you've seen throughout Mark's gospel or in the immediate ver- you know, chapter or two before. Like there, there's no, it's just a very abrupt introduction of a certain young man, a very abrupt and a very anonymous introduction of this character, which to me kind of makes me think that this is somebody who the, the original audience that Mark was writing down his gospel for probably knew. And this would apparently be enough to uh, jog their memory. Like, if uh, if you if you can imagine, you know, instead of writing, if Mark was talking to you know whoever his audience was, uh, he would get to this part, and then he would kind of like he knows that they know what he's talking about, so he would he might throw in there. Now there was a certain young man there as well, and he was following him. He was wearing just a linen, you know, um, and there's there's some like. I think also of how John refers to, or let me put on my Bible scholar brain, like in the fourth gospel, we hear a lot about the beloved disciple. And traditionally that is associated with, you know, John the evangelist who may or may not have written the fourth gospel, whatever. Um, Point being like, there's kind of this, like for us, if we, if we have no external kind of, uh, evidence. If we're just reading through John, we've never read it before. We don't, it's, you know, we've never read the Bible. We don't know what the beloved disciple is, right? Like there's, there's nowhere, there's nowhere in the book of John <laughs> in the beginning where it's like John, the beloved disciple. And then the rest of the book he's referred to that way. And it's not like here, it's like, you know, Mark or James, a young man, and then later in the book it says a certain young man, right? So it seems like there's some kind of communal connection, um, and that that I think also might explain why um, this is in here at all. Like, there's like I forget I was just man, what was I reading? Um, I don't know, but there there's like a couple of of times I think in I might be thinking of Luke's gospel, um, but. Them, that might not be right, but there, where it'll be like, oh, there was um, uh, Simon the Cyrene, who the the like bystander who was kind of like conscripted to help Jesus carry his cross when he couldn't do it anymore. Like Simon the Cyrene, the father of Rufus, uh, was in the crowd and the soldiers grabbed him. It's like the the fact that it says the father of Rufus, who you know, from our perspective, well, I don't know who Rufus is. And even if I did, I don't know why he matters. Like the audience must have known Rufus, right? Like maybe Rufus was part of the community that that gospel was written to. Maybe Rufus was known by that, you know, maybe he had come with Luke or whoever. And like, you know, the the point is there seems to be some kind of personal connection um, that would explain why something that doesn't directly, this piece of information doesn't directly have anything to do with Jesus's betrayal and, you know, being brought before the high priests and stuff. Like, objectively speaking, to tell the story, you don't need to know this information. But it was put in there, obviously on purpose, and it was kept in there, obviously on purpose, which is why we have it. So I think, like, the fact that it's just a certain young man, he's not named, there's no context, there's no buildup, I don't have a guess as to a person so much as just whoever it was. I would imagine was probably someone who the audience, like the, the the first people who received Mark's gospel knew. 
and had some kind of intimate familiarity with. Yeah, I, I almost or, or I almost else picked, it really makes no sense. <laughs> no, I agree, and that's that. A lot of people pointed that out as I was reading. A lot of people were were, were really driving home what you were saying, and I. I even feel like it's like a slight bit of humor. It's almost like Mark doesn't want to name the person, but is is like everyone knows who it is because like now a certain young man, you know, who I'm not going to name, but you all know who it was because like it's an it's an embarrassment, like especially in this culture to have. Well, on the one hand, this is somebody who's following Jesus, which could mean just right there in that moment or some sort of disciple, somebody who's been following him. And think of all the dramatic events that have just just transpired, and this guy is about to be seized, and he bolts. He he runs, and in running, loses his garment such that he's simply naked. He's running away, completely revealed. Uh, it, it, it I don't know. Like it's it's it is a weird. Uh, the the more that I read about this, the more that I'm like, man, maybe there is something kind of like deep and under the surface. This isn't just like inserted in there you know randomly or even just for comedic effect like there's something about even as we'll come to see like what the linen might represent what the nakedness of the man running away might represent like it's it's really it's really telling i think and so maybe maybe it's a good time to transition to talking about that linen cloth um i'm gonna butcher the 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 greek or whatever but sindone sindon um, that's the word that's used to 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 reference this linen cloth, and uh, the the reference that I found it says especially that which was fine and costly, in which the bodies of the dead were wrapped. Um, so most often, especially in the Gospels, this word sindone. Um, there's Matthew twenty seven fifty nine, Mark fifteen forty six. Luke 23:53. And if you're like, man, those all seem like really close to the end of each of those gospels you just mentioned. Well, you're right. It's the burial cloth that Jesus is wrapped in. It's like the the shroud over his body. That's the same word that is used here. And so as I mentioned, like the two times that we see this word in Mark's gospel is in this story here where there's this this linen cloth wrapped around the person. And then there's Jesus in the burial shroud in Mark 15, 46 from Joseph of Arimathea. So like contextually, that's just kind of interesting when you when you see words, um, you know, obviously in their original language, you can see it more clearly like, OK, this word appears here. This word appears here and then like doesn't appear again, like similar to when we did that episode about charcoal fire. Um, that word was only in, I think it was Luke's gospel or is that John No, John's gospel, um, that, that charcoal fire appears twice in scripture, both in John's gospel. So it's like, it, it feels like an important note. Again, that's why I think it is supposed to be here. Um, some have speculated that like, perhaps this linen cloth was like, like maybe the person, um, like what, what people are trying to make sense of is like, well, what? why would this dude have shown up in like just a linen cloth and like not in clothing? Like, so was he somebody who lived nearby who, who heard the, um, you know, all the guards and all the Roman soldiers coming to arrest Jesus. And so was like aroused from his sleep and like just wrapped himself in the, the, the first thing he could find and went outside to see what was going on. Like we, again, all speculation, we can't know for sure this side of glory, but that's like a, a good question to ask is like, okay, well, why is this guy just dressed in this probably fine and costly garment? What's the, what's the deal? Why is he showing up just in this thing? 
Um, and so again, not many, not many answers, just questions. But one commentator, I liked what he said. The juxtaposition of the brief episode in question, so this one, um, with that of the disciples fleeing is telling. So again, in verse 50, we see the disciples flee, and then we have this little encounter. Following the betrayal by Judas and the arrest of Jesus, all of the disciples left him and fled. Immediately thereafter comes this account of a young man who followed Jesus and who, when seized, abandoned his garment and fled. It is significant that this youth is described as one who followed Jesus. To follow uh, was what Jesus called the disciples to do, and following is what they had been doing. Um, Following is therefore a literary clue. Mark is labeling the young man as a disciple. The disciples followed. The young man followed. The disciples fled. The young man fled. Here then, in the picture of the naked runaway, followers have become fleers. In Mark's narrative, the uh, this flight of the anonymous sympathizer serves to underline the complete failure of Jesus' disciples. He goes on to say, What is interesting in this cryptic story is that there is only one other instance of the Greek word for linen cloth in Mark's gospel. And again, in reference to the burial shroud of Jesus in Mark, four, uh, Mark 15, 46. Therefore, uh, sorry, there, as with the story of our naked runaway, the word occurs twice. What a clever narrative strategy. In utterly discreditable circumstances, the disciple is stripped of the linen cloth he wore, and following an equally degrading crucifixion, a linen cloth becomes Jesus' burial shroud. The former garment, which represents shame, buries Jesus in death. In other words, Jesus gets the garment of shame from the young man. That, of course, is not to assert that it is the one and the same linen cloth, Rather, Mark uses the cloth as a literary device. The purpose of this device becomes evident when we read the announcement of Jesus' resurrection in Mark 16, 1-8, another quote-unquote coincidence where we find the only other use in all of Mark of the term young man is to describe the angelic reporter dressed in white, Mark 16, verse 5. So, like, when I read that little comment, I was like, man, that's just, like, super interesting like contextually this story on its own if you were just to open to mark 14 and read this you'd be like wow that's super random super weird what the heck is it doing there who cares about this naked runaway but then when when you compare that link uh you know literary like the literary devices that are being used this juxtaposition of like uh, cloth and cloth um you know young man and young man or whatever like it's it it's i think the i think it's really telling what 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 mark is trying to do here um and now i'm curious yeah. what you have to say yeah i mean and especially in an oral oral and aural a u r a l culture like so where where you're you're passing stories and information along orally and you and the audience is hearing instead of instead of reading or you're reading this out loud and the audience, the congregation is, is hearing instead of seeing the words on the page. Like that, like I'm reading a book on preaching right now for one of my, for my preaching class, funny enough. And uh, um, one of the things like, he's like talking about like how to like, he's talking about like structure and, and that kind of thing. And he talks about like, if you've got like a main point and then you're trying to like apply it later, like, using the same terminology or it's like if you have a main point that uses a certain word and you have like a like a sub point use a word that's like this like use the same word or, or use a word that's in the same like uh 
you know, the same like tense and stuff. And it's like, he's, he's, he's saying like, like you might like in, in this book, an English professor might say like, you want to, you don't want to reuse vocabulary. It's going to come across as redundant. It's going to come across as um, like repetitious, not in a good way. But if you're speaking and you're listening, right, if you're listening to a sermon or you're listening to Mark's gospel being read, you can't flip back two pages uh, or reread a paragraph. You're like, oh, that sounds familiar. And then reread it. Oh, yeah. Like you're just listening, right? The sermon just keeps going. You don't get to rewind the tape if you're listening to somebody talk to you. So using the same words, not only does it show that there are these connections that Mark's trying to draw, but it also is like a really important um, rhetorical device, right? Like, like you, that's how you draw attention to things if you're telling somebody a story and you're trying to point some, like, that's, that's like good rhetoric. Um, because we have to remember that Mark's being written for the purpose of, of being orally, you know, recording oral tradition as well as being passed on orally because most people can't read at this point so um i think that that's super that's super interesting do you remember like i don't know if you have it written down like um where who or where what commentary you got that from because that's super interesting that's really good yeah i can go back and find it i i was there's uh there there were a couple of websites i visited i'm trying to remember which one it was but there's like this long running list of like varying commentaries that like it, it just intersperses there's like matthew henry and gotcha. geneva and, and like whatever so i have to go back and try to find gotcha. it i can yeah i, can I was just curious the... yeah it's really good yeah and it makes me think too like like it kind of gets my head spinning like totally just off like on the spot uh speculation that i i have no you know <laughs> i haven't even thought this through let alone like tried to back it up with any kind of study but like like the ways you can connect like the nakedness and the and the shrat like the the cloth covering um like it's like he's he's a follower of jesus but then he's coming under this threat and he's fleeing like instead of standing his ground and willing to be seized with jesus he's following the disciples suit of of fleeing and like it's like the you know the 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 I'm a picturing like a, a pure white cloth, you know, like, which I know is just, you know, that's not necessarily there, but like the cloth is sort of covering his nakedness. Right. And, and, but it's like his, his flight from Jesus's side kind of reveals his true self maybe, or you could spin it positive. You could look at it positively of like his commitment to Jesus has, has like, he's cast off, you know, like I'm thinking of like ancient baptismal practices where you would, you would take off your clothes, be fully nude, go, descend into the water, and then when you come out, you're given a new white robe to symbolize the the white robe of, that like the martyrs have in Revelation and stuff like that. And like it's it's almost like the 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 covering, like the the clothing, quote unquote, the the cloth that he had before is being you know his his uh, his following Jesus results in that being take that being stripped from him and his you know as a result he's naked you know naked and unashamed maybe or or baptismal imagery or whatever um which like i said is just totally could be totally off base but like that looking at this more carefully makes something that seems very random you you can at least imagine the significance even if even if what i just said is totally off base like you can see how 
there's more to it than meets the eye for, for the way we read things. Because when we read things, we kinda, we're kind of, you know, this is going to stand out to us as something that is weird and maybe doesn't belong, right? Because it feels random. It feels odd. It doesn't feel like it connects. But you take a little bit more time to go a little bit more slowly, and you see these connections to other parts of, of Mark in this case. But you can also slow down and think about, like, well, what's going on, like, you know, when we see nakedness in scripture, what does that mean? And it's like, Mark knows that. Like Mark is, is somebody who understands scripture. So it's like, I, I don't know, I haven't thought about this, but some kind of study of nakedness, it's, you know, might sound silly, but like, I would have to imagine that might reveal some really interesting takeaways from a seemingly random, weirdo, obscure sentence like this, um, which you just don't really get if you're just reading the way that we normally read anything, and we and that includes scripture for us, but if you're reading more carefully and canonically, because it's not an isolated sentence in an isolated paragraph, in an isolated chapter, it's 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 part of the entire canon of scripture, which which is you know, distinct but unified texts, right? Mm. So yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. No, I agree. That was good. And I, while you were chatting, I did find it's actually an article on D- Dallas Theological Seminary's website from Abraham Kuruvula. Kuruvula. I'm not exactly sure on that last name. I apologize, Abraham. But uh, that's where I got that long quote from. Um, but yeah, you know, you're right. I love I love the way that you were sort of trying to make sense of what's here. And, you know, what I sort of came down to is I was like, man, this this person, regardless of of everything we've said here. I think a, a part of this is like a, a revelation of, of his sin and his shame um, to be, to be clothed, to be then, uh, you know, uncovered similar to Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, they were, they were naked and they felt shame. And so they hid um, in a similar way. This person is revealed his, his shame and, you know, in, in effect sin is revealed. And so he, he runs and flees. Um, and then that whole bit about, you know, Jesus then, taking on that same shroud, not the literal same one, but uh, this, the same word to almost redeem that, to, to cover sin, to, to, to raise from the dead, to defeat um, the power of sin and guilt and shame. And, um, you know, maybe some of that is you're, maybe you're extrapolating something a little too much from that isn't there, but I think, I think it still works. I think it is uh, a good lesson to take away at the very least. I mean, if, if not that, then you're just left with a weird, like, so, like, can we run yeah, around naked? Is that, like, what this is telling us? Is that it's okay <laughs> to, like, you know, I don't, what what else do you take from here? Yeah, and that's the thing that kind of that, that frustrates me with um, sort of contemporary, like, like modern, basically post-historical critical method exegesis and hermeneutics is this idea, and, and not just, not just, like, higher critical scholars and, and you know, non-believing dissection but 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 you know conservative preaching and exegesis that approaches the text with the historical grammatical method as the way to interpret texts but then it's like well you know we don't have enough history or grammar to get to the bottom of who this guy is um like in, in a in a sort of like final sense like we can make plausible um speculations but but like if you read like the way the fathers preach 
like the way that they look at the way that they look at scripture um i mean you know this is probably worth an episode uh potentially hot take depending on who's listening like the way that paul uses scripture um paul allegorizes um sarah and hagar he allegorizes the rock in the desert that followed israel um and like when you look at the history of you know like the fourfold interpretation where you've got like the literal and then the three different spiritual meanings you look at you know, like origin and, and different ways of, of interpreting scripture that we've seen throughout church history. Um, the, the, like, if we are limited in understanding God's word to a historical, grammatical, you know, literal in meaning like words, not literal as in like fundamentalist, like everything is exactly one way, but like literal, literary, I'll say, a historical, grammatical, literary interpretation of, of the words on the page that we have, like, I guess a question I would have for, for someone that would that would be sort of convinced of that that approach would be like, what does, what meaning, what edification, what teaching, what exhortation do you draw from this if you can't go further than the words on the page, right? Um, and when I say further than the words on the page, I don't mean into our imaginations, right? Um, but like you just said, maybe we're reading into things to, to look at this nameless guy who's running away and his cloth and nakedness and, and looking at Christ's, you know, vicarious taking of our shame and and bringing that into the grave with him right like my question is just like who says we can't or shouldn't be reading into you know and that that's that's the much bigger conversation on on how we approach scripture and stuff but um but all that to say is that to go back to kind of something i already said is just like you don't get this. I don't get this. When I just read through, I'm like, what the frick? What's going on with this dude? Like, I don't have a problem with it, you know? Like it like it's not it's not like a real challenging thing because it's so short and small and seemingly insignificant that you can kind of just skip over it. Um it's certainly easy to skip over it. I'm not saying you should do that with anything, but um but like, you know, we don't have all the time and knowledge in the world to 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 do this with, you know, every time we read the Bible. So I'm not saying that you're sinning if you kind of gloss over this 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 sentence or whatever but um but when you do take the time it's kind of like well what like what like you asked at the beginning which i think is like the question is like why is this here like that's the that's the interesting and important question it's not so much you know what kind of cloth was it or who could it be those are interesting and important questions but not nearly as much as okay fine but mark put this in here you know the markin community <laughs> wrote this down and kept it in here through hundreds of years of transmission you know how whatever perspective on on scriptures like composition you want to take like it's in there right so why <laughs> yeah and i think i think it's hard to come up with an answer that's really compelling if you're a christian who believes that the bible is god's word who believes that it was inspired by the spirit that it ha- that it has been given to the church 
for our edification and teaching. I think it's really hard to come up with any kind of compelling answer if all you have is, well, you know, this was in the manuscripts and Mark must have written it down because people knew who it was, right? Like, like that's an explanation, but it seems like a very shallow explanation for why God would have this stay in his word passed down for millennia to his people, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. And I know yeah, I'm, I'm sure. kind of veering off into some bigger questions that require their own episodes to be able to really flesh out. But I just think it's so interesting how something so like, like when you start digging around in the Bible, right. And I mean, and, and also like, like church history and archeology span and all like, like when you, when you start really like taking the time, which we have the luxury to do here, which is a great blessing. And you start digging around in things that you, that you just haven't before. Right. You just, the smallest little, like you turn over like the smallest little pebble and it turns out to be like this huge stone of like, Oh, I never thought about this. Oh, I had no idea that this word is directly connected with Jesus's burial in Mark's gospel and nothing else. And it's like, I don't really know what that means, but I know that it means something. Mm. And it's like, you just start to take the time to do the, the, the digging in, a, in just a little small way. You know, we've only been talking for a half hour and it's like all these worlds get opened up. Um, with something that I've just breezed over yeah, my entire same. life, you yeah. know, and it's it's just it's just an interesting it's interesting, but it's also a very like hum- humbling and also exciting and edifying sort of reminder of what it means to study God's word. Right? It's 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 not just fu- checking off boxes and and learning a language and and piecing together some kind of puzzle. Like it, there's 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 a like a, like there's a depth that is surprising even if you've been doing this for a long time right even if you've been walking with the lord for decades even if you're you know in in school for years and years talking about this kind of stuff there's there's always something new that that can surprise you um and you're never going to get to the bottom of it but you're always going to have something that you can dig into Mm. Right. And, you know, you, you might not have the resources or the time or this or that, but like the point is like it's there for us to to feast on. Right. Yeah. Um, even something as insane as <laughs> these two verses that that just like are totally out of left field if you're just reading along, you know. Well, let me give you my slightly spicy take. Sorry to not. I mean, this is this would also probably require a whole episode, too, but we won't we won't go there. But. Like, this is why, you know, speaking as somebody who was a pretty hardcore, like, five-pointer for a while, like, this is this, this is good evidence as to why, like, don't be so rigidly dogmatic. Like, be open to the possibility that maybe you're wrong or maybe you don't have the full picture. Because, yeah, we come across these things you, you read in a different light, whether it's because someone has explained it in a different way or you've gone to a new culture that has a... A maybe a possibly a different approach to interpretation or something like, like all I'm trying to say is like I know a lot of people on uh, in the world and on social media that are just far too vocal and far too dogmatic about things that they shouldn't be. Like just that's all I'm gonna say. We'll leave it at that. Uh, but I did wanna I did I did wanna throw out there before we're done. Um, even though I think, like Lucas said, the most important question here is the why. Like why is this included in the in the passage? I still find it very interesting to think about the who of who this naked young man is. Um, 
And so my personal opinion, again, and this is just my my speculation based on some of the things I've read and just in reading the the you know the context of Mark even. I think it was Mark himself. I'm inclined to think that like Mark was writing about just similar to like how you mentioned John sort of seems to write about himself as the beloved disciple. Like I think Mark is talking about himself as that um, uh, certain young man. Uh, But the reason I think that is like, okay, well, why is this story not in other gospels? Like, was it just so insignificant that like, you know, Luke and Matthew and John didn't include it? Um, Was it like, they all fled and so they didn't see it happen. So they were like unaware of it and like didn't want to write about it. Like maybe they heard about it, but they weren't sure. And so didn't want to write about it. Like in my mind, like verse 50 does kind of seem to be that indicator. Like everyone else has deserted Jesus and ran away. Like everyone's gone. That's what it says. And then it says now this certain young man. And so it's like, maybe Mark knows about this small detail because he experienced it himself. He was that young man who was in that cloth who then ran away naked. I don't know. That's just sort of like where I, I landed. I, I If someone had a more compelling or convincing argument, I'm more than happy to be swayed to have my mind changed. But man, this certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following Jesus. They caught hold of this young man, but he left a linen cloth behind and ran away naked. That's all we got. That's all we have to <laughs> contextually try to understand like who this person is. So I don't know if, if after this conversation, Lucas, if you have a thought or if historically you had an idea before as we wrap up. If not, feel free to just close it out. Man, I I guess I, I'd probably like just as a sort of initial gut feeling lean towards Mark as well. I also think um, like I, I don't remember or know really the details, but I know at least traditionally speaking, um, Mark is, or was a disciple of Peter. Um, and, and it's kind of like the tradition is, you know, uh, Luke goes around and gets his information sort of from like a widespread of eyewitnesses. Mark is a little bit more like he's kind of under Peter's wing and, and kind of gets a lot of his, um, and like sort of, direct information from talking with someone who was there, Peter. Um, But I also, I mean, this isn't necessarily true, I guess, but I also imagine Mark being probably noticeably younger than Peter if he was going to kind of become his disciple in in the faith. Um, I don't know that for sure, but but that kind of would feed into the idea of, of like, at the time, Mark being a, you know, quote-unquote young man who uh, is, like, you know, adjacent to this movement of people, but he's not one of the 12, right? So um, kind of like there's not necessarily like more of a circumstantial thing where it's just like some pieces fit together imagining if this was, you know, how did Mark come to faith? He was kind of there on on more of the sidelines during Jesus's ministry and then remained, you know, through that remained with the the disciples and and in the church and then kind of that's how he got to know Peter or whatever I don't know like like you've said a few times lots of speculation but um, I like the idea that it's Mark um, I like the idea of like I mean if I'm writing down for the sake of my faith communities a you know, start to finish biography of Jesus, 
right? <laughs> and like, imagine if these didn't exist, right? You're like the first people writing them down. Like, I, I have to imagine just how you even do that is overwhelming. But I like the idea of like, and I was there, you know, but, but it's not about me, obviously. Like, um, you know, anyway, this was super fun. Um, I'm really I'm glad that you it was originally your suggestion so I'm really uh, glad that you suggested it because it was it was super fun and it's one of those things I probably wouldn't even think of let alone suggest just because like I said I gloss over this verse all the time but I never will again I can promise you that (laughs) Um, so to to conclude uh, we're gonna pray uh, as we have been doing more and more frequently we're gonna pray from the from the Psalter we're gonna pray Psalm 131 um, which is a brief but pretty magnificent Psalm so let's pray Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. Amen. Well, I hope you guys had fun uh, like we did. Uh, and we really appreciate all the support, whether that's social media, whether that's tuning in, sharing, giving us reviews on, um, Spotify or, or Apple podcasts or whatever it is. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to, uh, this episode and any episode of the doxology podcast. You can connect with us best ways by email doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We're also on social media at doxology podcast. We'd love to hear your feedbacks, uh, questions, ideas, opinions who is this naked runaway we'd love to hear from you and we will catch you soon